Father, we thank you for the presence of God on this Sunday, which we celebrate the giving of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for that great gift. Holy Spirit, be our teacher now. Instruct every heart and open the eyes to see and to understand. Place upon us that same grace of understanding that we need from your hand. And, and bless the word of God in the heart of the hearers today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, please be seated, everyone. And um, good morning. It's Whit Sunday, which is another name for the day of Pentecost. And that's the reason you dress up. You always dress up on, on Pentecost because then you get more of the Holy Spirit. Didn't you know that? You've got to look like you. You need it, you know. <laughs> no. No, it's uh, the cathedral service this afternoon and uh, you can't process with the bishop and the priests in their robes and stoles and things unless you, you don't look like the cat dragged you in, you know? <laughs> and uh, no, you've got to dress formally for such a great occasion. Anyway, I'll hopefully see heaps, heaps of folks there and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Anyway, I was um, looking back over uh, some past Pentecost Sundays. And you, you might not be aware, but of course I keep records, at least since the digital age has given me, you know, decent iPads and things. And I was looking back at five years ago. This was the 6th of May, 2018, and it was Pentecost Sunday. And uh, it was just very interesting, the things that were current at the time and that went on in our meeting. To start with, uh, from Michael, I had a text. Now, I only know one Michael, so I'm assuming this is the one we know and not, you know, like Mark, Michael the Archangel or something. And Michael must have been somewhere, and I don't know whether he was in Cambodia or India or the Philippines or in uh, Kenya or in Ghana or, you know, any Nepal, you know, various places that Michael's been. But he says uh, on Thursday, he said there was a church meeting, because we always reported, you know, when people were away and prayed for them. This was Pentecost five years ago. There was a church meeting last night. He said there was a really sweet spirit. Re I released a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit to empower a greater love for one another, both in the church and the wider body of Christ. We had another text from him Saturday, the day before Pentecost. He said, yesterday, we had coffee by the lake with a group of pastors. We sat and talked for more than four hours watching the rain on the mountains. Today is the second conference in a different town. Hearing the pastors talk yesterday helped me to speak to where they are at today. The first meeting felt electric. God is good. So anyway, we always uh, must have started the meeting with that and then prayed for Michael. And then we had some other things, including uh, the book I was planning to write and announcements about the summit, of course. And Oh, and then there was a note from Karen Simmons. She said, morning, today is our last Sunday before we head south for three weeks for William's surgery. He knows all about it now and is fine talking about it because we prayed much for him and, and saw him really come through that. Oh, all these things have gone on over the years, you know. Oh, and then we talked about travel coming up and I was inviting young people to join me on trips to Indonesia, to Canada, to England, to Kenya and to South Africa. We must have been busy. Well, we were lots of years. We were announcing corporate listening on Wednesdays from 6 a.m. to 1 p.m. And uh, not only that, there was a all kinds of things we're praying for here. And um, one of the things we prayed for in United Prayer that morning was the raising, raising the eldership in Rockhampton. 
And, you know, ever since we prayed that prayer, we've seen amazing progress in the relationships of the churches and the pastors in the city. I remember saying at the time that we have prayed for years and years and years for unity. It didn't seem to make much progress. And I felt, ah, hang on, we shouldn't be praying with that. We should be praying for the Lord to raise an eldership. We made huge progress since we prayed that prayer. We, we really should keep praying the prayer, don't you think? Pray for the Lord to keep raising true biblical eldership for the city. Oh, and then I had a special little five-minute presentation on family principles for Sunday. All of this on Pentecost five years ago. What did I say about family principles for Sunday? It was always put the Lord's Day and love for the saints and the kingdom of God first in your life and with your kids. Put, the, put it first, make it central to life or risk losing your kids to the world. Second was I said the attitude of parents is everything. If parents are hit and miss and scatty, well, you know, kids will be too. So the attitude of parents. Uh, third was, uh, you know, just talk about children in the service. Fourth was uh, the importance of, you know, solid teaching and the time we give to it. And the fifth was uh, the importance of fellowship and community. Stay long afterwards, you know, keep the kids involved. Lots of friendship on Sundays. Uh, anyway, that was Pentecost service. And then, of course, oh, that isn't all. Um, two days before had been the funeral of Pastor Brian Henaway. And we talked about that too. That was a busy day, wasn't it? Pentecost Sunday. And then you had a wonderful message, of course, from the Bible and all about revival and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I told all kinds of stories and some from the Solomon Islands. Interesting thing was, it was very relevant on the day to talk about Brian who just passed away because Brian's testimony was when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, he said, um, he and this, this man up north somewhere, Tully Ingham in as well, he said he and some other friends, so these would be young, young um, you know, indigenous men, he said, they were on the riverbank and for some reason, but the Holy Spirit fell on them. And he said they're all so drunk in the Holy Spirit, they had to be loaded onto a flatbed truck and they spoke in tongues all that day, all that night, and all the next day. Anyway, these were great stories from over the years, uh, Pentecost 2018. Well, what are we going to do today to make history? For one, we never used to get into the cathedral and sing in the choir. There's a little history there. But um, I wanted to give you some background on, on Pentecost, what it is. And, and here's the deal, little history. Uh, you'll, be, you'll be interested in this. In, in Judaism, it, this was the festival of weeks in Hebrew, Shavuot, and it was a harvest festival that was celebrated seven weeks after the beginning of the harvest. And it was 50 days. Now, that, now here's where you've got to get your thinking cap on a little bit, because we think Sunday to Sunday but they thought Sabbath to Sabbath, which was Saturday. So they timed it from 50 days from the day after Passover Sabbath. Remember, Passover came up once a year, but the Passover Sabbath is a Saturday. They counted this, it from the next day, which for them was the first working day. Sunday for them was the first working day of the week, first day of the week. So it's counted from the day after the Passover Sabbath and you count off the days until the day after the Pentecost Sabbath 
which brings you back to another Sunday. So it was day after Sabbath to day after Sabbath is Sunday to Sunday. But you count the first day and the last days to get 50 days. Now, it's very important that you count both. You know, you and I think of, well, one Sunday to another Sunday, you know, seven weeks. We think seven weeks is 49 days. No, it's not when both days are celebrated. You count the first and the last because they're a part of it. It's a full 50 days. If I say to you, the Rockhampton show is going to be over Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, you don't say, oh, Monday to, to Tuesday to Wednesday, two days. No, the show's on three days. So you count the first and the last days. And that's, so it's like that. So 50 days is correct. But for us, guess what it is? It coincides exactly, precisely with the day that Jesus rose from the dead, which is the first day after the Sabbath of Passover. In other words, he rose from the dead on Sunday, the first day of the week. Your Bible says it straight out, first day of the week. And the day of Pentecost also fell on the day after a Sabbath, seven weeks, seven weeks in a day, if you like, later. That is the precise uh, coordination of these events. However, getting back to the original, it was called the Feast Festival of Weeks, but it was a harvest festival. And it celebrated the beginning of the harvest. So the crop had been growing. It came 50 days after, as we said, but the, the 50th day known as the Festival of Weeks became known as Pentecost because Pentecost was the Greek term for 50 days. And, of course, the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures were translated into Greek, so this is where the term comes from. Now, this Festival of Weeks, its proper title, was also called the Feast of the Harvest. It was also called the Day of First Fruits, and it was also called the First Fruits of the Wheat Harvest. I'll show you two Scriptures on that. Numbers 28, 26, first of all, just a quick glance. And um, someone back there has got the Scriptures. They'll put them on the board Numbers 28, 26. Let's see if we can go really quickly with these. There it is. On the first day of the first fruits. Now, when you read that in your Bible from now on, you will know it's talking about the day of Pentecost. On the, on the day of the first fruits, when you offer a grain offering of new grain to the Lord at your feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. So, and then Exodus 34 and 22 you shall observe the Feast of Weeks, the first fruits of the wheat harvest. See that interesting phrase there, the first fruits? The first fruits. That is a very important application to us. And the Feast of Ingathering at the year's end. So um, it, it marked the all-important wheat harvest. Now, you've got to keep this in mind, what it's all about. It, it marked the wheat harvest, or the beginning of the wheat harvest in the land of Israel, but, by sheer coincidence, now of course you know, God is planning this all along. It just so happened to be coordinated with the giving of the law at Mount Sinai and God causing this straggly bunch of slaves that had come out of Egypt 50 days before to be a nation. This is the first time they were declared to be a nation God made covenant with them at Sinai, and guess when that occurred? Right on the day of Pentecost. Now, that occurred 
on the 50th day after their exodus from Egypt. Now, if, if you were God, and I'm pretty sure you're not, but if you were, you'd, you would do what he did. And that is from before the beginning of time, you would plan all of this out, knowing that Christ would come and he would do a very important thing for the human race. And that as a result of the work of the Lord Jesus, both his suffering and death and his resurrection, God himself would then come and live with us. He would be present on the earth. He would live in the hearts of his people. There would come this moment when the the Spirit of God, the presence of God would be poured out into all of those who believed and had given their hearts to Christ. And knowing that all of this was for the salvation of humankind and that that first work was the first fruits of a mighty harvest of souls, then from before time, he plans to build into salvation history and all the lead up to these great events, all the symbolism, all the understanding, all the meanings associated with it. And so this is why all this timing is in fact a model or a picture that teaches us a whole lot of meaning about what he then put in place. This is why pretty much everything that was done was, was uh, what we call a type. And so put in place at Sinai were things like the tabernacle because Christ would become our temple and we would be his temple. The temple is, you know, is God lives in a temple and we live in him and he lives in us. That's actually the temple that God had in mind, the eternal temple built without hands. Uh, also, you know, called the city of God, the mountain of the Lord, Mount Zion, the new Jerusalem. That's what he had in mind. But he put in place in salvation history all of these symbols. He puts, he puts in place a high priest at Sinai. A high priest is appointed but it's, it's symbolic. Sacrifices are important, appointed. They're symbolic. Worship rituals and, and so much else, all symbolic of what is to come. The cloud of glory by day, of fire by night, also symbolic. You don't see a cloud here, but what it represented is here. And so in, in like way, that whole Paso out, out of, out of uh, Egypt, you know, the, the lamb that was slain, uh, the blood on the doorpost, the eating of the meal, the very next day Red Sea opens and you know they're delivered from Egypt. All of this is symbolic of what is in Christ Jesus for us. Even the, the years in the wilderness, but of course they come to Sinai and there is the giving of the law and they're formed a people. Well, 3,000 years later on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit falls on the 120 in the upper room and they all speak in tongues and then they're out, everyone's hearing them and all these people get saved, this is the ingathering. Remember, Pentecost was the, the, fe the feast of harvest. It was also called the feast of the ingathering and it's precisely what began to happen on the first day of Pentecost when 3,000 souls got saved. They were first fruits of this, this whole new thing that God was doing. Marvelous. Uh, symbolism. You need to know what it's all about. So the law mandated this seven-week counting of days and weeks to express specifically so that in the nation of Israel, uh, this counting of these weeks to the harvest was, was purposely put there to build anticipation and desire with respect to the giving of the law because the, the day of Pentecost represented for them the making of covenant, the giving of the law, they become a people. Interesting thing is 
the original day of Pentecost in the desert at Sinai had exactly the same purpose as the later day of Pentecost, if you like, the fulfillment of it, and it was to make a people. At Sinai, they were declared to be a nation. They were declared to be a people. You know, they weren't all descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They weren't, they weren't all Jews in that sense. They weren't all born of Israel. No, it was a mixed multitude. The Bible's quite clear that the, the crowd that came out of Egypt was a mixed multitude. In other words, when the, when the Israelite slaves bolted, a whole heap of other slaves bolted with them. And, and why wouldn't you? You know, you'd seen all the miracles. And so a mixed multitude, it says, comes to the mountain, but they're covenanted in. This is now the people of God, holy unto the Lord. They're declared to be a holy nation, given a priesthood. But all of it is symbolic, and the New Testament is very clear that was temporary, and what we have is permanent. That was physical and outward and obvious. It could be seen. It was a massive object lesson in history. What we have is, that was temporary. What we have is eternal. That was visible. What we have is invisible. What they had, had no real power, had no real power to take away sin. Their sins were forgiven, but it's because of what Christ was, was doing later. We have power. They were given the law that only condemns when you sin. We are given the Holy Spirit. Do you know what the difference is between living under law and living under the Spirit or under grace? It, it goes like this. If you live under law, the law commands you what to do, but gives you no help in doing it. The law will not lift a finger to help you. But when you fail, as you surely must, because your, fl your flesh is weak, the law condemns you and gives you no, no help at all. But if you're living under grace, Rather than command you what to do, the Lord teaches you what to do. It's, it's you who must choose to obey the Lord. But you're taught what to do. And then, unlike the law, grace gives you power. Grace always gives power. It gives strength. Grace opens the way for you. It creates opportunity for you. This, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And, but then if you fail, you're not condemned, you're forgiven, and you are helped by the Spirit of the Lord to start again totally different deal. But, but please understand both law and grace were trying to achieve the same purpose. The law is, was holy. The law is spiritual. The law is good. It's just that in your flesh you could never keep the law in that form. You could only keep the law of Christ when the Holy Spirit comes to you you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit, and then the law is written on your heart, and it's grace that then enables you to do the things he wants you to do. It's a totally different thing. But the law, as it was, still had the same goal in view. You'll love the Lord you God with all your heart. You'll, you'll serve him only. You know, you'll not steal, you'll not, you'll not lie, you'll not commit adultery, you know, you'll, you'll uh, so on and so forth. You know, the law had, a, and, and of course there was much else in it, the law had a holy purpose in view. It was to cause you to be like your Father in heaven. But of course, the, the law cannot empower fallen flesh. But, but it, was there, it was there to show what righteousness is like. It, it was there to enable 
the human race to have something within it. You know, the, this, this whole period of these symbols were periods in which uh, God proved himself to his people. They proved how much fallen human nature was. And, while, and during all that period, with the rise of, you know, the patriarchs and the, and the judges and the prophets and the kings, we ended up with a body of scripture, an, an amazing canon of literature that gives us such wisdom, such insight. And it's the gift for the human race. We have holy scripture. And that the, the scriptures of the Old Testament foretold of Christ, gave us all the meanings of Christ, gave us an understanding of human history, its beginnings, its end, its meaning. In fact, there's, there's really nothing new in the New Testament that wasn't in the Old. It's just that in the Old it's veiled. And it, and it had to be veiled. Why? Because Satan didn't have a clue. He couldn't, he couldn't understand it either. He's more intelligent than you, but he couldn't understand the prophecies. New Testament is quite clear. The forces of darkness would never have crucified Christ had they understood. And so it was veiled. And that veil was upon the hearts and minds of the, even the people who are under the law. Of course, you get amazing breakthroughs. You had amazing prophets. You had you know, people, people like David and, and Isaiah and Jeremiah, just the most amazing insight into it all. And so they were given much grace, but it was so that we have the word of God and so that we have examples. New Testament said all these things happen to them as examples for us. So we, we have this astounding history. You better pour into it. You know, you better, you better soak it. The, the interesting thing is that even though it was veiled to everybody on the other side of Christ, you know, back before, it's not veiled to you. Why? Because you have the New Testament. We have the life of Christ. We have the Gospels. We have the epistles. And praise God, we have the Holy Spirit. And consequently, the veil is gone. If you'll read the Bible and pray, the veil is gone. And so as you read, ah, you see. And bit by bit, that whole book opens up to you. It's astounding. And so, dear friends, you know, we have a great gift. The stuff that's been given to us, here we are. And New Testament's quite clear that when anyone turns to the Lord, including any Jew, when you turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Oh, and we behold. You know, we behold the Christ of glory. It's astounding. And so this is why there's an old saying that says, the new, meaning the New Testament or the new covenant, is in the old concealed. And the old is in the new revealed. We need it all. Now the, now the first church, the early church, you think Peter and John and Paul and, and a host of others we don't know personally, they preached Christ everywhere they went but all they had was the Old Testament and they preached him amazingly from the Old Testament. If you want examples, you've actually got them written. You've actually got sermons written preaching Christ from the Old Testament right in your Bible. You can go take a look. You can take a look at Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 5, uh, Acts chapter 3 as well, Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 5, and you can read Acts 7. They're the, the, the more substantial ones. There's others. There are those early gospel workers preaching Christ from the Old Testament, and it's astounding. No, it's all there. Well, may the Lord open your eyes all the more too as you pray 
and read the Holy Scriptures. Well, um, so the law mandated the seven-week counting of days to express anticipation and desire for the giving of the law. With the Passover, the people of Israel were freed from their enslavement in Egypt. At Sinai, they were given the law and became a nation committed to God. You got all that in the, in the head, but it happened to coincide with the harvest. And well, it might. The day of Pentecost coincided with the first day of the wheat harvest. And guess what that is? That is a symbol of souls. So the Holy Spirit being poured out on the day of Pentecost, that's our day of Pentecost, was the beginning of a great harvest that continues on to this very day. Um, let's go back to Deuteronomy for a minute, Deuteronomy 16, and read about the Feast of Weeks. Just there's a couple of interesting elements in this little passage. Uh, just follow on the screen. You shall count seven weeks. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. Then you'll keep the Feast of Weeks to the Lord, your God, with the tribute of a freewill offering. Oh, okay, so for Israel, the, the day of Pentecost was also an occasion they brought the a freewill offering, a first fruits offering. Do you know what that is? A, 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 when properly understood, a first fruits offering is a thank offering that you don't have to give. It's not like when we you know, we've got a visiting speaker, so we take an offering. No, you, you, should, you should give. Or we take an offering for you know, the Cambodian orphanage. No, we should give. Take an offering for you know, the building funding. No, th these are things we're kind of obligated to do. I mean, everyone's free to the degree that which they participate, but the point is, it's work we have to do. But a true first fruits offering, which is a thank offering, is giving the Lord a gift, uh, but it's not for anything you have to do. It's just because you want to say thank you. And a particular element of that is, it's giving thanks in anticipation of the rest of the harvest. That's why it's called a first fruits. It comes from the beginning of the harvest, and you bring a gift to the Lord and give him a gift to say, Lord, you've always taken care of me, and I believe your future provision for me is going to be a huge blessing. And I want to, I want to thank you. Thank you for the future. That's the whole purpose of a first fruits offering. Well, it turned out Pentecost had that role. And, and you know, you might think about that. Because I've thought, no, today, today, I should give a thank offering to the Lord. And I plan to do that. Uh, there's a little more here. Um, where do we get to? Verse 11, and you shall rejoice, it says, in the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male, your female servant, the Levite who's within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. In other words, it's such a universal blessing, this day of Pentecost. And um, as you know, what ultimately happened at Passover, come now down to New Testament times, at the Passover, Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room. They ate the Passover meal and he made a declaration concerning one of the cups. He said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant. That night he was going to Gethsemane. The next day he was going to the cross. And then on the first day of the week, immediately following his so he dies, and then on the, on the, at first light on the first day of the week, he rises from the dead. And then he appears 
He appears to his disciples and others. In fact, we're told by Paul in Corinthians that on one occasion, he appeared to more than 500 people at once. So there's a crowd of Christians had gathered somewhere. Imagine that. You know, you think he just had appearances, you know, three here or two there and seven there. More than, so there, there was a lot went on in 40 days of resurrection appearances to Jesus to many people. But then he said to them on that 40th day, when he's about to you know, disappear into the clouds, he says to them, don't leave Jerusalem. So he knew what was coming. When we don't know that they knew what was coming, except he had told them and told them and told them, you will receive the Holy Spirit. And on this occasion, he said, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for what my father has promised. Not many days from now. You see, they're, they're loaded words, aren't they? When you kind of understand the context, you think, no, every, every one of these phrases was important for these guys. Not many days from now. This was 10 days before Pentecost. So he says, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait, the gift of my father is coming. So for 10 days they're in prayer, waiting, 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 waiting. And, and guess what Acts 2 says? When the day of Pentecost had fully come. You know, <laughs> just astounding outcomes. Jesus had had some things to say about this. Um, uh, by the way, that term first fruits, do you know that Jesus rising from the dead which didn't occur at Pentecost, but seven weeks earlier, is called a first fruits, but that's a different first fruit. The festival of first fruits wasn't for seven weeks. Pentecost, when souls were saved, you know, we often talk about a harvest of souls. That was the first fruits too. We're talking here two different kinds of first fruits because when Jesus rose from the dead, we are, he's, he's one of a kind, we are told that he personally is the first fruits of those who sleep. In other words, there will be, at the end of the age, a vast resurrection. Christ is, in rising from the dead, the first fruits of that resurrection. But 50 days after Christ rises from the dead, you've got a, a harvest. So now we're talking about a harvest first fruits of souls. Here's the thing I wanted to say about that. That ingathering, because it was called the Feast of the Ingathering, an ingathering of souls has been going on ever since. It was never just, you know, if you bring in the wheat harvest, it, that might be for a certain number of weeks in the year, the harvest begins, the harvest ends, and the rest of the year you're not harvesting. But that's not true of this kind of harvest. The harvest began proper on that day and continues to this day and will continue and here's what Peter had to say about it, because I thought this was really interesting. Um, down here, go, go down to Acts chapter 2. Uh, while she's finding that, do you remember, remember Jesus said about this world in which we live, he told a parable, you know, how, how, how God had sown good seed in his field, but the enemy had come and sown bad field, and so he had wheat and tares growing, and his uh, advice was, let both grow together until the harvest. And so there is a day at the end of the age known as the harvest, the final judgment of all things, 
when they, they are separated. But in the meantime, this harvest of souls is going on. So we've got Acts 2 up there. Take a look at this scripture. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing. Peter, in preaching the gospel, is saying to those who believe and repent and are baptized, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Come back to that in a moment. But look at his next comment. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. In other words, this is an ongoing, enduring harvest. This is the gospel. In other words, it's one great day. This festival of weeks or, the, or Pentecost. Do you know the term Pentecost is not only applied in the Bible to that one day. The term is also applied to the Jubilee. Every 50 years, you know, there was a Jubilee, slaves were freed and all of that. Well, it just so happens that, that all of these are symbols of the gospel. The Jubilee uh, is also proclaimed. The, in other words, a trumpet sounded Jubilee. Well, the trumpet is the gospel. And this is why the day in which you live is called the day of Christ. Not the days of Christ, but the day of Christ. It's why every single day is called, you know, behold, today is the day of salvation. It is this vast day of Christ. It's the day of the harvest, and it's for, it's for you and your children, all who are far off. Now, I, want, I, I explained all that just to get to this end point here of showing you that what has gone on in all of this, in the crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the giving of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it'd be nice just to dwell more on the giving of the Holy Spirit, what that really means for you. Um, another day. But all of this is, aside from anything else, is an outworking or the fulfilling of a promise that God had made to his people a long time before, and all of salvation history was working toward the place where he could fulfill that promise and maintain it. Now, the, here is the promise from Leviticus 26, 11 to 12. It will appear in just a moment. There it is. He said to Israel in the desert, I will make my dwelling among you. What does that mean? Dwelling means the place where he lives. Now the camp of Israel, the physical camp of Israel with the 12 tribes was symbolic. The tabernacle was in the middle all their tents were around according to their tribes and at the giving of the law and with the institution of various priesthood and proceedings and sacrifices, there came a time, there came a day when the presence of God came as a cloud and came and uh, occupied the Holy of Holies and that cloud, that pillar of cloud was there then every day, a pillar of night was there every night symbolizing well, for them it was real. This is the presence of God. We know it as a symbol that God, God put his presence there, but it was actually a promise he had made that he was looking forward to a day when he would live with his people. And uh, so he, that's why we got this promise right here in Leviticus 26. I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. 
in the giving of the Holy Spirit, this scripture is fulfilled. I'll show you. 2 Corinthians 6.16. Just bypass the first phrase there for a moment. 2 Corinthians 6.16. It'll come up in just a tick. There it is. Just ignore the opening phrase. Get to the second sentence. For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be their people. Paul quotes that scripture. He quotes that promise and says, that's what we are. In other words, it came to be. God lives with you. He is in your house. He is in your heart. He's in our hearts. He meets with us here. He walks with us. He speaks with us. This is a living reality. This is what came about as a result of the giving of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. John 14, verses 6 to 18. Jesus told them in advance, he said, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And just a couple of verses later, John 14, 20, he says, on that day, on what day? On the day the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. The question to ask here of each of you is, do you know that? Have you experienced the living Christ? Have you experienced this where he's come to you and lives in you and walks with you and you know him and, and you know he's in the Father and, and, and so on and so forth. Just what he said. Well, this is what happens beginning when you're born again, but, but happens in all the more you know, incredible power when you're baptized, when you're really baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's all there for you. And um, so I want, to, I want to close with this emphasis on the, the river of life. Do you remember Jesus said, uh, he said this just not long before he was crucified. He, he avoided being seen at the feast, but then he turns up on the last great day of a feast, not long before he's crucified, and he stands up in public and makes this really loud proclamation. This is in John 7. Find John 7 for me. Put up verses 37. you'll all be familiar with this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, if he had to stop talking there, it's like if John had to stop writing there, it'd be up to us to interpret it. But he gives us the interpretation. Look at the next statement. This he said about the spirit. He said, what about the spirit? that rivers of living water would flow out of your innermost being. This he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Future tense. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The appearances, resurrection appearances had to take place. Jesus had to be ascended and then the Holy Spirit could be given. And it's just such an astounding gift. And um, in summary, a number of things come out of that gift. To start with the fulfillment of this promise that he would live in you, live with you. He would make you his home. You would be in him. He would be in you. He would be in the Father. The Father in you, 
It's astounding. Not only that, you hear his voice. He speaks to you. Now, he speaks in lots of ways, but you get to walk with God. You get your sins washed away. You get, a, you get assurance. You get peace. You get, you get your, your, your conscience is cleansed. It's amazing what happens. You give him power to live. It is so worthwhile walking with God. Your prayers get answered. And when you're praying, you get a sense of you know, where it's the at. And, you, you know, you pray more until, oh, faith fills that thing. And you know you have the thing that you ask for. The astounding stuff goes on. You get miracles all the time. The, you know, the wonder of God living with you and you living with him. And if you don't know it as a reality, it's, it's time to do business with God and, and get this sorted out. It's not only that, we're told in the Bible that when you have that, it's your guarantee of, e- of eternal inheritance, that you actually have, have an eternal place with him, your, in, your inheritance reserved in heaven for you, this, this gift of God living with you, being in you, is this down payment of heaven, astounding stuff. And then he'll teach you. You open the scriptures, you know, and oh, all of a sudden you're understanding it. There's the Holy Spirit at work, and on and on and on. So much he does for us. So in closing, I want to take you to one short passage of Scripture and suggest to you that this is a description of life right now if you've been given the Holy Spirit rather than a description of heaven. So we go to the last chapter in the Bible, Revelation 22, and just the first five verses. A lot of people read these chapters as if it's all about the hereafter. But the closer you look at it, the more you realize it is symbolic, and an idealistic and symbolic description of the joys you experience now and of what the church and the gospel means in the world. Remember that Jesus has already told us that this river of living water would flow through those who believe. So the Holy Spirit is the river of living water. We've already been told we are the temple and he is our temple. Now read the passage in light of that. And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So far, so good, because Jesus said this is what would happen. Verse 2, through the middle of the street of the city. Ah, but the New Testament everywhere describes us as that city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month, The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. This is not about the hereafter. It's in that period of life where we have nations and they need healing. The Holy Spirit is given for this purpose, to be in you. And, you know, laying on of hands in prayer, this is the, you know, we are the trees in a sense. The Bible says we're trees of righteousness, planted by river of living water. See, all this was in the Old Testament, concealed. Oh, there's a bit more. Three, no longer will there be anything accursed. And you say, well, that doesn't seem quite right. But it's amazing wherever the gospel goes, you can, you can remove curses and get blessing. Wherever the gospel goes, healing takes place. Lives get transformed. It's a progressive work. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. He's in us. And his servants will worship him, which we do. They will see his face. You think, oh, no, that comes later. Not so. Paul says, 
If you're in the Holy Spirit, every one of us, we are daily beholding the face of Jesus Christ. Not only that, we are told to, to look intently into the face of, of Jesus. These are spiritual realities, but here presented as a concrete picture. They'll see his face, his name will be on their foreheads. You can't read it, but I can tell you now the devil can read it. You are marked out in this world as being Christ's. And again, it's a symbol. I'm not saying it's actually written there at all. It's symbolic. And night will be no more. No, when, you, when, you, when you're saved, the Bible's quite clear. He transferred you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Christ is the light of the world. Can you see how this is heavily symbolic passage? They'll not need light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And yes, it begins now because even Revelation chapter 5, you know, 17, uh, 5 from 22 is 17. Just go back 17 chapters, you'll find it. It says, we who have been redeemed by the blood have been made a kingdom of priests. We'll worship God and serve him day and night and they shall reign upon the earth. Yes, it goes on forever and ever, but it's begun now. All the more reason to have your sins forgiven be filled with the Holy Spirit, surrender yourself to the Lord, enjoy this business of Christ in you and you in Christ. Find what the Bible calls to be the powers of the coming age, tasting, tasting the powers of the coming age, all made possible because of Pentecost. Well, because of Christ. But you know, Pentecost in history, we've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been given the gift of the Spirit astounding. Where would you be without the Holy Spirit? But then where would you be without the Bible? Where would you be without Jesus? Where would you be without the love of the Father? It, it's, it's really a great whole. Let me tell you, you, you are very rich. You've been made most rich. And the beautiful thing is, there's kind of no end to the riches. You know, the more, the, the more you wait upon the Lord, the more you walk with Him, oh, to, you know, it opens. Praise God. Let every heart now be hungry. Just bow your heads with me. And why don't each one of you in your own hearts thank the Lord for his gifts and ask the Lord if he would cleanse you afresh and fill you anew with the Holy Spirit. Lord, this is, a, this is my prayer, this is our prayer. Thank you for the washing of the water of the word, that even, even as a result of this word being heard today, your people are more clean. Because Jesus, you said, now you are clean through the word I've spoken to you. Let that word wash over every heart. Wash away our sins today. And forgive us, O Lord, for so many days that we are not hungry and haven't looked to the Lord or haven't rejoiced. But, Lord, today we recognize the astounding nature of the gift of God. And thank you. Thank you for the gift of the Son of God. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, we receive your gifts. And now would you fill us 
each, would you fill our homes and our hearts? Would you fill this fellowship, this church? Would you fill this city with the spirit of all grace, with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of God the Father, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, the eternal spirit. Lord, we receive your spirit. We receive your grace. We receive your mercies today. Thank you that you live with us. Thank you that by the Holy Spirit we get to look into the face of Jesus. Take a hold of your people. Lord, live with us, walk with us all the more. And I pray for everyone sitting here today that the Holy Spirit would come and would teach, would instruct in righteousness. Instruct them all the more. I commit them, Lord, to your care. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, place upon them each the peace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God the Father, the grace of Jesus. And in the name of the Lord Jesus to every one of you, I release the power of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. We receive your presence. Now bless every home and every heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take many opportunities. You know to sit quietly with the Lord and drink his presence. Surrender yourself. You know, you are the vessels of God. You're the temple of Christ. Holy unto the Lord, we thank God. The gift of the Spirit.